These are the target files. Discussing the novelizations and audiobooks of classic and now also new series Doctor Who stories. Looking through the eyes of adulthood at our childhood memories. After all, a great Time Lord once said, there's no point in being grown up if you can't be childish some of the time. Hello and welcome to episode 95 of the Doctor Who Target Files podcast. We're reviewing the Tom Baker novel, Scratchman. The Doctor, Harry and Sarah Jane Smith arrive at a remote Scottish island where their holiday is cut short by appearance of strange creatures, hideous scarecrows who are preying on the local population. The islanders are living in fear and the Doctor vows to save them all, but it doesn't go to plan. The time travellers have fallen into a trap and Scratchman is coming. With the fate of the universe hanging in the balance, the Doctor must battle an ancient force from another dimension, one who claims to be the Devil. Scratchman wants to know what the Doctor is most afraid of, and the Doctor's worst nightmare are coming out to play. Hello, sorry, this is Mike in Swansea. And this is Lee in Swansea. Tom Baker's first step into the Doctor Who stories is Scratchman. Mike, I was going to say Tom then. <laughs> <laughs> That would be amazing if like, all of a sudden we've got Tom Baker here. So, a story that's been knocking around for nearly 40 years, originally conceived on the set during the 70s between Tom Baker and the late Ian Martyr. What do you think? Been around a long time, rumoured to have been written uh, as the chance of being a film in the early 80s by Tom and Ian Martyr. I was just going to say the book is pure Tom overall as my initial thoughts. Almost therapeutic for the man in a way, written his own sort of Slightly whimsical style, and it's just utter bonkersness in other ways. Eccentric. Yeah. It is Tom. Tom Baker considered by many to be the definitive Doctor Who, or the Doctor, rather. And with this story, it really shines through. He knows these characters so well. I know this is, this is an old story. It was rejected by the BBC to be, a, to be an episode. But he knows these characters through and through. And with reviewing the audiobook, a lot of people, when you hear them read it, especially older actors that were being during the classic period, you can tell they've they've got older. But with Tom, he still sounds exactly the same. I don't think the man is aging. I th- I think he's just putting on this 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 face of this old man, but he just doesn't appear to age. Yeah, I remember chatting to somebody at a convention a few years ago, saying they didn't actually want to go to uh, the fiftieth anniversary celebrations in London because the man looks too so old at the moment you know he looks so old in his 80s now in his late 70s then back in 2013 and they just wanted that memory of him as a child you know as a younger man in his 40s 40 when he started in the role in 74 and 
Yeah, I can understand that, but thankfully he still has the voice. That's just been so much part of his character these last 40-so years. But before we recorded this, I watched an interview with him, and he still seems as though he's still full of energy. I heard an interview with the musician Henry Rollins recently, and he was talking about William Shatner. What is it about these, these actors that came out in like the 60s, and the, they were big in the 60s and the 70s, they're just still full of energy? I'm in my 40s, and I get tired by 8 o'clock in the, at night. I mean, online, certainly amongst fandoms of the two, Shatner is almost seen as the US version or Canadian version of Tom Baker, isn't he? Yeah. Well, I can completely see that. The eccentricity is there, the larger-than-life personality. The fact they're both known for one iconic role, even though they were both sort of very good actors, but only job and actors before they got the roles they're most famous for. Yeah. I know I've seen especially in the UK and in America as well. Tom is known as being the narrator for Little Britain, but you still always just see him as the Doctor. Because I think comparisons with Shatner as well, there's video footage of one of the, or probably Super 8 footage of one of the first Star Trek conventions in the 70s. And I think Shatner is actually there. And I know Tom was in one of the first two ever Doctor Who conventions held in London at the time. You know, before this idea nowadays of having to pay fortunes for an autograph or a picture, you know, they were just sort of, Happy to turn up as it was a new event then. Yeah. So they've embraced fandom in that way since then, and uh, they've never lost that touch, really. With conventions and everything, they've become so monetized now that they're... I know we're going slightly off to- topic, but they are so monetized now. I first started going to conventions when they really were little. They were in local church halls and things like that, and now there's these, this massive event... And you kind of lose something. There's, there's something very personal about the older conventions. And I would love to have seen Tom in one of those. Me too. I think it's almost like being treated like cattle, isn't it, in London? But, well, I'm going to next month. You're giving yeah. it a skip this year, but you'll be going to New York next year. Yeah. Maybe one day I'll get to San Diego, and that's probably going to be a bit more like a, a cattle Although, to be fair, you are going to Gallifrey one next year. Yeah, but that's supposed to be a bit more sort of in between, you know, the smaller oh, one cool. and the personable one, I think, you know. But it's obviously still quite a busy, busy convention. But anyway, as we usually do, three minutes in, we've gone slightly off topic of the book. It's what our listeners have come to expect now. But yeah, a nice, uh, strong narrative start. Tom in a sort of courtroom full of Time Lords. I do, I do love it when Tom goes back and deals with the Time Lords. That particular Doctor works the room so well. You've had other good Doctors since. He does perfectly. He really commands the room. I think it's down to his voice. I would love to have seen this being done as an episode. Not so much as a film was originally planned, but as an episode, it would have been a small series. It would have been great. Doctor Who has always been partly about taking the piss out of authority, and he's probably the best at doing that. So how much do you think that Ian Martyr, because originally, you know, it was written with Ian Martyr, how much do you think he contributed to it? I mean, I know he died in, what was it, 86 from a diabetic heart attack? That's right, yeah, I think it was the autumn of uh, 1986, only 42, my age now, scary. It's hard to know, Um, he wrote a few Target novels, Ian Martyr. Really? He's got a very sort of visceral style, you know, they're very sort of memorable ones. Well, we did The Invasion, didn't we, recently? And that Yes, was, we uh, did. That was, uh, in that sort of style, he had a good balance of humour within, so perhaps he contributed some of the 
more humorous parts when it was certainly a film script because I don't think it was planned to be a novel back in the 80s when the idea first came to fruition. When I was doing research earlier, it said it had been knocking around. They were hoping that it would become a film. It didn't. So then for Tom to resurrect it and bring it back as a book was great. This is his third novel now, but his first Doctor Who novel. And for a first time out the gate, yeah, fantastic. Did you get the feeling he was like throwing absolutely everything into it? Like this was his first chance of any sort of major novel. I, I did get that feeling from the fact he uses a lot of similes for humour. You know, he loses a lot of comparison, comparative things he goes back to again and again. I think some of the descriptive qualities in it were great. One section where he describes the corridors in the TARDIS saying it was a great way to walk and to contemplate. You can imagine that, especially in the TARDIS of that time and descriptive qualities of it. You can see Tom you can see his doctor being like that and I like his uh, early description of Harry Sullivan you know played by Ian Martyr maintaining that sort of childhood energy I think his words are which made elderly ladies protect their china when he was around when I was listening to this I did feel a little bit sad in the sense of it's it's Harry and it's Sarah Jane Smith and both of them are no longer here because I think if they'd both been here this would have been a great audio dramatisation. Or a big finish play. Eh, not so much a big finish play. I find them kind of dull. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna I'm I'm not gonna be down on the big finish stuff. Some of it's really good, it just seems to lose. I don't know what it what it is. I mean, how much of you big finish have you listened to? Not a great deal. I really tried to get into a lot of the McGann ones, but I stuck to the one series he did with Sheridan Smith and a few of the earlier ones he did with India Fisher, Charlie Pollard, but I've not really listened to that much since I've listened to the first box set, which I quite enjoyed, of the River Song Diaries. Did you find when you listened to those... I know we're going off again, sorry listeners. Did you find when you were listening to those, just as when it was about to get going, it ended? Yes. I would say in certain certain times and a few of their other stories do tend to drag. I think the only big finish that I really enjoyed was the Jack the Ripper one they did and it wasn't Doctor Who it was something completely different so that was kind of nice anyway but back to Scratch Man but I do love Torchwood and I I probably need to get back in and listen to a few of those I think Hmm. hasn't there recently been a new one with John Barrowman yeah they've actually done what is the official series 5 and now series 6 coming up which has been officialummed whatever the word is authorised by Russell T Davis creator I mean I think it says a lot to the power of marketing seeing John Barrowman dressed as the sixth, sixth Doctor. Yeah, in a new uh, new Lives of Captain Jack mm. adventure that is coming out. I'm quite intrigued by that. So I may, maybe not buy it on vinyl because their prices are ridiculously high. I mean, speaking of the Sixth Doctor, I like it when you have the fact they have actually given Colin Baker's Doctor a last adventure, whereas he got sacked and didn't get a chance... To have a regeneration scene on TV, as we all know, Sylvester dressed up as him in his costume. I always thought he walked out. On the Trial of the Time Lord box set, which is coming out as a Blu-ray now in September as well, the original documentary, Colin says he got a phone call from John Nathan Turner, the producer, saying, well, I've got good news and bad news. And it was framed as, oh, the good news is the series is continuing, and the bad news is they want to get rid of you. (laughs) Oh, lovely. So, you know, there are probably better ways to frame a, a uh, phone call like that. Just send a letter, you're sacked. Yeah, in the old days before email. Colin, Colin's doctor is, is someone who's grown on me over time. 
Definitely for me as well, very abrasive. And I've got to say that Peter Davison, my favourite as a child, I find him quite boring now. Really? Until the Caves of Androzani, which a lot of people say, and probably Resurrection of the Daleks in his final season. He's a lot more action-orientated in those two, and uh, I think I prefer that style. And my only memorable story from that time would be The Five Doctors, because it's The Five... Well, The Four and a Bit Doctors, because Tom doesn't really appear, does he, apart from the, the one Sharda scene? Yeah, the, the Sharda outtake, shall we say? Never completed, of course. But anyway, <laughs> yep. Scratchman. Yeah, let's um, back to Scratchman. You have that intrigue which often came up in the Tom Baker era of landing in a sort of mysterious small town-esque village on the coast. Lots of shenanigans, lots of scarecrows. No quarry in Wales. No, surprisingly enough, but it's definitely got a bit of hint of uh, terror of the Zygons about it, I think, this one as well. And uh, the old idea of a small town sort of community all based around a church, isn't it? And you get the elderly lady, the busybodies... The old woman. Yeah, you get it. It reminds me of that sort of uh, small town, small village bureaucracy. The the setting for it reminds me a lot of the sort of classic horror movies where the setup begun this strange village. Yeah. Which I I don't know about you. I've always loved the Universal horror mo- monsters, so I've yes. always loved that sort of setting. So that that really drew me into this story. My only criticism, I will say, of the story is it does go from first person to third person quite a bit. Yes. The whole, I, I did this, I did that, where it's, no, if this is if this was a dramatisation, I works fine. But in a story, it takes you out of it slightly, of going, all right, okay, okay, this is just one person breathing this. Because it does make you wonder how able Tom is, even though it's a character, to disassociate himself from the Doctor. It comes across in that way. For me personally, I think he still sees himself as a doctor. In the in the fiftieth anniversary yeah. episode, when he, you see him on screen, and I must admit, I still tear up every time he comes on the screen. Yes, you still very much get the feeling of going, "No, I am still the doctor." Absolutely, because he himself says, you know, a lot of the things he does afterwards, and probably it's actually fans who've said this more. He always plays a doctor in whatever he does after Doctor Who, but. I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't really see it in Blackadder. I think he's even more sort of over the top, Captain Redbeard. Behind the makeup and the giant beard, there's no Tom Baker there. There's just this insane captain. Yeah. However, I think it was you that told me that. One, a series that the BBC did in the early 80s were of an adaption of the Conan Doyle Sherlock Holmes story, Hound of the Baskervilles. He is very much playing the Doctor. and I think it was you that said I- that. Similar then, yeah, that's just after he's left, but there's a few things I'd seen him in, like adaptation of the hoax when they found the... They're supposed to have found the Hitler diaries in the 80s. There's one that ITV did in the early 90s, and he's in that, and he's a, only a peripheral character, but he's not very Doctor-like in that. And Medics was a BBC hospital drama in the 90s. I remember that. He wasn't a Doctor much in that, really. He wasn't really like the Doctor in that. Um, possibly when he turns up... Older, you know, his voice in Little Britain, and there's an episode of Swiss Tony. Remember the spin-off from the Fast Show, like the car salesman. Oh, Swiss right. Tony. I must admit, I'm. You know, yours used to compare be... everything to making love to a beautiful yeah. woman. Probably going to be quite surprised by this, but I think I've only ever seen one Fast Show episode. Wow! Wow! It was just it just passed me by. In yeah. fact, I remember hearing on a podcast once someone talking about Mark Williams. You know, becoming famous for the Far Show, and I'm just thinking, no, he came famous for Harry Potter. 
Yeah, so back to the book. Lots of callbacks within. What did you make of those? You know, we have a bit of a cameo within the Doctor's psyche, really, don't we, from uh, Jodie's Doctor. That we do. pretty we well have, done. We have a mixture of the previous Doctors and the new Doctor. Who'd have thought? Yeah. Spoiler, folks. The, uh, the first three Doctors turn up as sort of scarecrow characters at the end and he mentions that the third doctor made a very good scarecrow which he did of course as uh, Wurzel yeah nice call back then to Wurzel Gummidge he's been in, you know he's been involved in this world for 40 years now since he left no as you said you know he doesn't play the doctor and everything but he's always going to be remembered as being the doctor as same as Adam West is always going to be remembered as Batman yeah. you just see them and you just think the doctor you just see him and you just think Batman or even with Shatner and it's Captain Kirk the end of the book, the climactic battle, I suppose, the use of insects and stuff. Do you felt that worked in the context of Doctor Who always likes to take things from the everyday life and put its uh, fantastical spin on them? Yeah, of course it worked. This is this is classic. This is classic Doctor yeah. Who. Doctor Who is best. Yeah. I want to see bug monsters. Yeah. I know. I know that that was one of the things they didn't want in the show. Yeah. But work with work with what you got. Work with what you know. And I do like when there's always just a monster. Towards the very end, we get a nice little throwback from uh, Sarah Jane Smith, don't we? Uh, writing, writing a farewell note. That's uh, really well written, I felt. How do you think this episode, if this was given to the BBC now, how do you think this would work uh, with, say, Jodie's Doctor or Capaldi's Doctor? You're always going to be missing something without Tom. But I suppose with Jodie, if they brought her in, you could have the moments in the Doctor's psych and you could have him playing the Doctor as he is now. You can yeah. have him back for a cameo. Maybe something like the 60th anniversary would work as a story like this. But I also want to spin that back, mate, and say, what kind of style of film do you think this would have been if it had been made in the 80s? Now, I was thinking something like Excalibur, that sort of grainy 80s look, the British film, or Time Bandits, maybe? Yeah, I, I, think, I think given to a certain director like Terry Gillian, this would have been very weird. And very, very, it would have been a cult hit. They were talking about wanting Vincent Price to play Scratch Man. No, I said to you before we started recording, I didn't really see that. For some reason, I had uh, Michael Horden, of all people, who used to uh, narrate the Paddington uh, animation, didn't he? <laughs> but he was very sort of dry, yeah. and I could see Scratch Man as being sort of very dry and laid back. Or a young Ian McKellen, because I, I pictured Scratch Man as being sort of very, almost, you know, that internet thing slender man yeah something like that and Quite i think possibly. ian mccallan would have done that very well especially in his young age well i mentioned in time bandits david warner is like the bad guy in that and he maybe him too he's a bit of a horror icon and a staple of doctor who as well yeah oh, that would have worked yeah. and the omen of course gets famously decapitated in the omen yes and ironically enough i bought the omen the other day awesome not the uh shit naughties remake which they purely made because the date was six six oh six Really? When they released it, yeah. No, I bought it because it was seven ninety nine for all four films. Oh, amazing! I haven't. I think I've seen two fairly recently, but I haven't seen the one with Sam Neill when he's an adult for years. Do you remember much about that film? Not at all. Really. Do you remember, remember the, him just doing a speech yeah. to loads of people because he's rem- a politician? Do you remember there's been a sex scene in that? No, I probably saw the TV version, so it possibly was cut out. Yeah, there was a sex scene in that, and I didn't know because I'd never seen it before, and I was watching it with my gran. And I felt really uncomfortable of going, oh, please, let this be over. I got a story, uh, complete tangent. I remember getting the video out when I was 12, 13, when it came out late 80s, a working girl, Harrison yeah. Ford, and was it Melanie Griffith, and who was the other lady? Sigourney Weaver. What's Sigourney Weaver? And uh, either Sigourney or Melanie Griffith 
walks in on her previous boyfriend and that, and he's uh, up to his nuts basically yeah. in a in a fully fronted fronted beautiful woman. Now I'd watched this on video at home, and we went to a friend's house to watch it again. You know, with his mum hiding out, yeah. and I remembered when the scene was, so I said, "I just got to go to the toilet." Yeah, I left my friend to it and came back, and he looked white as a sheet. <laughs> and sort of like, oh, "Please let this be over." <laughs> There we are. Anyway, Scratch Man, dude, shall we uh, round up and give a score? Great story for a first-time novel. Fantastic. However, as I said earlier, going from the first to third person kept taking me out of the enjoyment. So I'm going to give it a good solid seven. I'd highly recommend people listening to it. Room for improvement, as I had on many a written test in school. So we just take this on a bit of a, a gloomy turn, but... I had that feeling with this book, as I mentioned before, Thomas throwing everything at it. A bit like, um, what was the final, back in January 2016, just before he died, the final David Bowie album? It was almost like a gift to the world. And to me, even though I hope Tom's got many, many years left in him, I felt this was a sort of, almost like a final goodbye to Doctor Who and to fandom, in terms of it being so introspective, as we've said. But there's also that wonderful nature of Tom Baker where it is... So difficult for him to disassociate himself from the role. Sort of the lovely tributes within the character of Harry being written about by Tom. And the beautiful ending with the uh, letter from Sarah Jane Smith. Of course, Liz died uh, quite a few years ago now. Overall, I'd probably give it more of an 8, I think, for me. An 8 out of 10. And yeah, I would recommend it to be bought. Definitely take your time listening to it, though, because you've got to appreciate what Tom's putting into this at his age. And I think another thing that would knock the point down for me, and it's only a very small thing, is the cover. This is a Doctor Who novel. We have certain expectations. You have the beautiful artwork. Yeah. And this is very much, this was made, you know, as it was released in January of this year, it is a very 2019 cover. I would rather they'd gone for a classic type cover. Covers are very minimalist nowadays, aren't they? Yeah. They seem to be. I mean, I've got... Almost some... like sort of Japanese-style covers seem to be in fashion at the moment, don't they? I've got some Star Wars books, and it's very similar to going, no, no, these are science fiction novels. Stop trying to tart them up. Yeah. Just let them be what they are. And that's what the fans want. That's what the fans are going to buy. Yeah. If you're, if you're not a fan, you're not going to buy it. I can't imagine anyone going to WH Smith's waiting, yeah. waiting for a flight going, oh, I'll buy... By Doctor Who Scratchman. If you're not a fan, you've got to have the words Tom Baker on there, of course, which they do. Yeah, well, it's fair enough. So, what else have you been up? watching, reading? Oh, we both watched the recently released Good Omens. Uh, David Tennant and Michael Sheen. What did you make of the adaptation of the Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman novel? I read the novel a long time. Well, I say long time ago. A good few years ago now. Enjoyed it so much. I bought the audio dramatization of it, and to see this come out and be so faithful and so enjoyable that level of Terry Pratchett Neil Gaiman humour was was spot on for me great great production values somebody did point out the other day you know you perhaps you've had a love for the book for decades I've never read the book but I felt maybe the fifth episode the sixth episode did drag a little bit maybe an hour was a little bit too long for some of the episodes um, I think it just needed to it just needed to tie it up really there is a very good interview with Michael Sheen on David Tennant's podcast yeah. where they talk about, obviously, filming it. They've worked together for quite yeah. some time now for this. And I thought the clash between 
Michael Sheen and David Tennant really worked. For someone who was the Doctor for so long, yeah. I mean, after Tom, Dave, David is the longest running after Tom, isn't he? No, I think Pertwee still is. Pertwee was five years, so. Was he? 70 to 74. So. And Tennant was 2006 to... I think 2005 till the first day of 2010, technically, wasn't it? New Year's yeah. Day, so. Yeah, so they both did sort of five, more or less. But yeah, you did, I didn't think of it's going. Oh, Doctor Who's on the on the screen again. It was no. This is this is David Tennant. David Tennant really can reinvent himself brilliantly. Did you ever watch the Netflix series Jessica Jones? No, I keep meaning to get round to watching him as Kilgrave is the character. Kilgrave. I went into that. I'm just going to think of him as the Doctor through this entire thing, and within about five minutes of going, nope, he's not doc- the Doctor. You see, I felt he was. Turning back into him by episode five of Good Omens. Really? I was really starting to see a lot of... You know, in particular when the Doctor would have those angry sort of moralising moments with a little bit of the sarcasm, but there was definitely the odd turn of phrase which was purely ten to me. I think that was just the character, though, but I can I can, can see what you mean. Because I quite liked him in uh, the Fright Night remake. It's the first time I'd ever seen him see the say the word F. It's, it's kind of weird when they do things. Yeah. I actually really like that film as well but I like the original Fright Night as well one thing I will say about Good Omens as well I think it was about two episodes before I realised that Jack Whitehall was in it I think I did sort of realise it was him but it did he did definitely seem against type yeah I actually quite like I know a lot of people hate it especially people in their 40s can't stand Jack Whitehall I actually quite like him he's okay he's just inoffensive to me really yeah I mean I know he was he went for the original uh, for the role of Harry Potter Wow. When they were first casting that, it, he mentions that quite a bit, but yeah. failed to point out that he'd never read the book, so he had yeah. no idea what they were talking about. I like uh, what Bill Bailey used to say about when they were making the Lord of the Rings film. And he said, um, you know, I wanted to go up for it and, you know, say, you know, he's going to keep it quite West Country and everything. And, you know, I heard in the grapevine that it was being made in New Zealand and that it's probably going to be more sort of Americanized, so, so I sort of let go of it. Until I saw the film. It was like a fucking cider festival, yeah. he said, watching it. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of people have been up. I know Josh Widdicombe went up yeah. for the role of Frodo yeah. in The Hobbit. Because Tom Baker was apparently the backup. Bilbo, Gan- not Frodo. Yeah, Tom Baker was apparently the backup for Gandalf if McKellen hadn't done it. Really? Yeah, I, I think I would have loved that. <laughs> it would have, that would have been the Doctor. When I put, saw Ian McKellen in, you know, in the theatre recently, yeah. where he talks about being Gandalf. Yeah. And being on the set with Christopher Lee and Christopher Lee turning around and going, I should have been Gandalf. <laughs> because he'd read the book so often. Yeah, and Christopher Lee telling Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson saying he uh, wanted to film a scene where he snaps a neck again. And Christopher Lee was like, no, it's all right, I've worked in the Special Forces, I know what it's like when you snap for someone's neck. <laughs> okay. Which, yeah, which is a little bit creepy. I mean, I once met Christopher Lee in a bookshop in yeah. London about... Yeah. 25 years ago yeah. the man signed my auto- uh, his not my autobiography that would be great go, yeah. go on Chris can you sign this for me yeah. it's not mine yeah no it's mine go on and he was so creepy in real life very yeah. friendly but yeah. very creepy I just went can you sign this do you want oh, it personalised <laughs> no <laughs> in case you get my name and my aura yeah <laughs> now did you hear the story that Stephen Fry said about uh, Peter Cushing when he, he became friends with Peter Cushing he said he was at Peter Cushing's house one day and the phone rang and it was Christopher Lee. And uh, 
I said, oh, I've got a, I've got a big fan because he used to talk about Christopher Lee a lot to Peter Cushing, and they never met. And Peter Cushing said, oh, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a big fan here. You know, uh, Christopher, do you have a quick word with him? And Stephen Fry put his uh, self on the phone and said, oh, Chris, I'm a real big fan. And started phoning, started fawning over him. And within like a minute, Christopher Lee was saying, who the hell are you, you idiot? Put Peter back on. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I mean, I've even listened to Christopher Lee's heavy metal albums, but you've oh. never listened to, they're well worth it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sadly, gone now. Yeah, eventually, uh, time caught up with him. What else? I've nearly finished all the episodes on Amazon Prime of The Greatest American Hero now from the 80s. I, I absolutely love that show. I recommend everyone to get into it, three seasons. I haven't seen it for a very long time. It's It could easily... Uh, they wanted to do a reboot with a female-led uh, Greatest American heroine uh, fairly recently, but it it got made as a pilot, but it didn't get through to series. But it's, you watch it now, it's so ahead of its time. It's It looks at the foibles of superheroes, you know? It looks at their faults. And, and to be fair... The Greatest American Heroine just sounds like a drug story. <laughs> the new series of Narcos, yeah. yeah. Have you ever watched that? No, it's it's on my list, though. Yeah, it's on my... I will get to get to it eventually. The TV only... is never-ending now these days, isn't it? It's, that's the thing. Yeah. Um, and do you find... Uh, somebody pointed this out online the other day. Do you find people only tend to look at stuff that's available on the streaming service they're paying for? Because I've cancelled Netflix fairly recently just to save a bit of cash, but I've still got Amazon Prime because it lasts for the year. Yeah, so I tend to just be watching stuff on that now, and I've watched a few things like the new Magnum on Sky, and also I've started watching the Edward Woodward series. Woodward Woodward. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking. Ah, <laughs> uh, the old Edward Woodward series, The Equalizer from the eighties. No, I would say that. Funny you mention about Netflix. I cancelled mine. I had an email from them saying that they were going to increase the price by a pound. And I just got quite offended by that and just went, nope, I'm, and cancelled it. I think with, with a lot of streaming services, which is good in one way, where if you have Sky or Virgin Media, you're locked into a contract for a year. But with streaming services, you have you have the option of opting in and opting out whenever you want. But yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. You end up just watching whatever is on the streaming service you've got, because I... I realised I'd gone completely mad. I'd had Shudder, I had Netflix, I had YouTube, which for eleven ninety nine a month really isn't worth it. No, just had it for um, Cobra Kai free trial and cancels it straight away after binge watching yeah. ten episodes. Two years running, I've done that now. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna wait for them to offer it to me again free, and then I'll, I'll yeah. sign up to it again. I'm surprised Apple doesn't do anything for like a streaming service. They've got plans sooner, haven't they? They think they announced in the last few months. I know that they, I took advantage of Apple's Apple Music and it was a three month trial and they announced that they were getting rid of iTunes as as it presently is. So I went to log in and it said I had to change my, my region, which was already set at the UK and then said, if you want to change your region back, you have to cancel Apple Music and it's like, oh, well, I'm not buying it now then. Do you think Netflix will take a bit of a kick in uh, with Disney Plus starting and most of the Disney content, you know, Star Wars now and Marvel going over there? I like the idea. You know, as you know, I'm a big comic book fan and a huge Star Wars fan. And yeah, it's a nice idea. And, you know, they're going to have all of like the Loki series, the Hawkeye, Hawkeye, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah. But most people have seen the Star Wars films. Yeah. Or, and if you're a Star Wars fan, you own the Star Wars films. If you're a fan of Disney animated, you own the Disney animated films. 
not so much I like it, it's a good business model of going, The Mandalorian, when that gets released, is going to be released weekly. They haven't announced Disney Plus for the other the prices, or... No, I mean... When is going to start yet? But Disney already have a streaming service over here, Disney Life. So I'm assuming they're just going to update that to whatever the Disney service is going to be called. Mm-hmm. Will you be getting the Disney one? Probably not. I might uh, acquire these programs from other means. Do you mean what Obviously, when they come out on disc. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the days of Netflix on discs? Love film. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, Tesco DVD rental I had. I've still. Apologies to Tesco. Um, or was it. No, there was one called Cinema Paradiso. And I've actually still got uh, their double disc copy of Dalek Invasion of Earth, which they never asked back for because they went bust and I still had it in my rental list and I never had a letter back asking for it. So. Oh, fair enough. I've got a Doctor Who disc for free. Yeah. Did you get a cover? <laughs> no, it's just in a little uh, oh, round this... plastic case together. Oh, that's fair enough then. But they'll be coming out on Blu-ray anyway eventually. So yeah. I did get the season 19 Doctor Who Blu-ray recently and uh, thoroughly enjoyed. But for the film inserts, which are quite rare anyway in Doctor Who, it really works to have them brushed up into HD. But there's no discernible difference in the studio stuff. Hmm. I bought the Blu-ray version of one of the Star Trek The Next Generation and because it had been upscaled and you know it was so clear it made it look worse so I, I just always I've always stayed away from older TV shows on Blu-ray especially when they're science, when, when they're special effects heavy because you really notice how how it's aged what I did watch the other day 35th anniversary of the first one and 30th anniversary of the second one, that big blockbuster summer of 89, 30 years ago now, was uh, the first two Ghostbusters movies, and loved them again. Uh, I've got to say, I didn't enjoy Ghostbusters 2 as a 12-year-old, but the amount of times I've seen it now, each time I find something more and more to like in it, and uh, if you get the Blu-ray box set, there's some uh, great interviews with Dan Aykroyd and... Is the director Ivan Reitman? Yep. Yeah, fantastic uh, ideas on that. And of course, we're getting a third official film uh, due for release July 2020. Dan is back for that. Jason Reitman, Ivan's son, directing. Bill, Bill Mar- is back. Can't remember. Can't remember Winston's name. Yeah, and Winston. Ernie Hudson yeah. is back. Uh, Annie Potts confirmed back. And hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, Sigourney Weaver, and hopefully, returning to acting, Rick Moranis. I mean, he retired to look after his children after his wife died. That's right. I look quite a long time ago. Yeah, 90s so now. They must be grown up by now. Because so. he returned to the voice of Dark Helmet from Spaceballs in an episode of The Goldbergs last year. But that summer of 89, what would you say was the best of all those movies that year? If we take Tim Burton's Batman, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Star Trek V, <laughs> Lethal Weapon 2, License to Kill, Karate Kid 3. Yeah. <laughs> Because I think Indiana Jones was the top grossing film of that year, which surprised me, even though, you know, because of the hype around Batman, but that was an amazing franchise, and that's probably still my favourite. I'm going to say, I'm going to go with Tim Burton's Batman, mainly because, yeah, those other other films were big. That was the first time that we'd seen um, marketing for the Batman films, because it was everywhere. You had, I remember, do you, I don't know whether you remember, that even kids had the Batman logo shaved into the back of their heads. Yeah. Batman was everywhere. Films. It was in McDonald's. Yeah. The Prince, the Prince songs. Yeah. Those, all, that awful album. Yeah. I've tried listening to that back, thinking it might be better as an adult, and it's really not. Have you gone back and watched that trailer now, though? It's just so quiet, isn't it, compared yeah. to modern trailers? Have you ever watched the original, the teaser trailer? 
which has no sound on it and just has pictures. Just the symbol, is it? No, it's just um, no. a series of pictures. It was designed... Do you remember the whole... It's a good job the internet wasn't around when Batman came out because the whole thing about Michael Keaton would be an awful Batman and to shut up all the haters, they put out this 30-second trailer that was just a series of still images, him in the costume, Jack Nicholson as the Joker, the car, everything. And then everyone decided to shut the fuck up because he looked so amazing. That's true, you know, trailers have come a long way. Have you ever seen that first teaser trailer for Star Wars A New Hope? Yeah. It just seems to go on for about ten minutes with well, Starfield. With, yeah, with the, and the, the logo coming closer and closer and closer. Yeah. Even though I saw it the first time round, if I'd been an adult or even late teens, mm-hmm. I would have gone, that looks rubbish, I'm not going to watch that. But, you know, a lot of the time in the UK, I've mentioned the programme before, Friday nights... We used to have the top 10 US movies rundown show cinema attractions. Yeah. Yeah, going back and remembering those, I've, you know, when they put the original trailers on the DVDs, I can still quote the trailers off the top of my head when they're playing. It's crazy. I watched them over and over. Because that was my first time of really getting into film and I miss the days of having to wait to see a new picture in a magazine. You miss it in some ways, don't you? It's, it's almost too instantaneous nowadays. That, I'll, I'll agree with you completely. That's one thing I do miss. One thing that was great about videos, um, which you don't get on DVDs, I know you can get trailers on DVDs, but with videos, you had to sit there and watch through yeah. them. So you would see things, you'd get, you'd get exposed to things that you probably would never have watched. And British people will remember this. Whenever you rent or buy a video. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Famous DJ in the UK, was it Simon Bates used to do our little uh, yep. Federation Against Piracy Warning at the start of VHS tapes. I'll tell you one other thing that I really miss What's that you that? don't get in the cinema anymore is the Yeah, that that was great. Yeah. And the ranking, the guy hitting the the symbol. Like where did those go? That was awesome, wasn't it? And do you remember I've just before I think it was around about the time the Phantom Menace came out twenty years ago. McDonald's did a 70s style Indian restaurant advert for McDonald's. We used to have the quick cuts yeah. and they used to have the popping in the background like on the soundtrack. Yeah, because you you would always have the trailers before the yeah. film going, after this film, why don't you pop to the local curry house and yeah. have... Now you don't get that anymore at all. Just around the corner from this cinema. Yeah. <laughs> right, shall we wrap up then? I think we can do, Dan. We're going to discuss what we're going to do next month. I think we're having a a new release of something that, for whatever reason, I think it was to do with rights back in the 80s, hasn't been novelised until now, but the original TV script editor, script writer, Eric Saywood, has now novelised the fifth Doctor story, Resurrection of the Daleks, and it's out as a download on the 18th of July. Do you fancy doing that one next, mate? Yeah, sounds good. So we'll wait about four or five weeks. Weeks? Yeah. About four or five weeks for the next episode, I think, folks. Right. Well, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Good night. <laughs> Doctor Who Target Files was hosted by Lee Farncombe and Michael Winks. 13th Doctor theme cover by Borna Matosic. Please do check out the YouTube channel B-O-R-N-A-M-A-T-O-S-I-C. You can contact Doctor Who Target Files on Twitter at DW Target Files handle or Instagram at Doctor Who The Target or leave a message on our Facebook page Doctor Who The Target Files. Please do rate and review us on iTunes and thank you so much for listening.